Every day during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is calling up readers and book lovers from around the world to check in and see how they're doing, to chat about what they're reading and what they've coming up. Today I'm joined by writer and journalist Lev Grossman, whose beloved and best-selling The Magicians was made into one of the most insanely brilliant TV shows of the past decade, and who has an exciting new book due out in the next uh, few days. Hello, Lev. Hello. How are you, Hello, sir? long-time listener, uh, first-time caller. <laughs> yes. How are you indeed? It's been, been a long time. Very long time. Too long. Um, and I suppose it'll be a while longer. Um, but I'm well. I'm as well as can be expected. Are you, are you shut in? Have you, have you been able to at least sort of lead some kind of a semi-normal life in these sort of times? Well, I lived in New York City, which um, for the first <clears throat> couple of months of the pandemic was um, really had the feel of a war zone. Uh, and we were very shut in. Uh, I spent some of the summer um, trying to get out of New York and go to some rural places, which basically meant throwing, opening up uh, uh, Airbnb on my browser and throwing darts at it um, to see where I could find a place. Um, so uh, it hasn't been so bad, but there's been a lot of driving and packing and unpacking and sleeping in weird rented houses. Um, but uh, all in all, everybody is as well as can be expected and, and, and is healthy and all that. And, I mean, a lot of people that I've spoken to have been knocked sideways, I guess, uh, by the whole sort of craziness of the last nine months. Do you find that you're able to, to sort of to focus, to function, to work, to read? Or has it brought you to a pause, as so many have found it? Well, I mean, I feel as though, you know, there's really... There's, it's, there's two pandemics. There's the pandemic experienced by... Uh, single people or people without children, which was a pandemic of isolation um, and endless time. And then there is the pandemic of people who are married with small children. Um, and that has been uh, a Sartrean pandemic um, in which uh, you can't concentrate for five minutes and you are spending way too much time with everybody and you get nothing done. And I have the second kind of pandemic. Uh, I have, We've had no... Childcare since uh, March, or very little, um, and that uh, has resulted in, um, you know, my time has been very broken up. I've only really been able to do, you know, uh, uh, an hour, two hours, maybe three hours of work a day. Um, it has been quite challenging in that respect, especially partly, and this is the kind of thing that makes my family roll their eyes in unison. Um, you know, as a writer, writing is, it's an addiction. It's it's how I manage my stress. It's how I pretend to be normal, um, to not have that to lean on has been mentally very challenging. Um, although there are, have been many greater challenges for a lot of other people in this pandemic. Um, that's been my personal one. Yes. I guess there is that thing where, I mean, writing by its nature is an isolated activity. And if you can't get the, the requisite isolation, you know, no, no matter how much you love the people who are with you, it becomes pretty difficult to function. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, you, you become sort of distracted and just you realize that thing that you were used to rely on to prop up mm. your semblance of your thin facade of mental health um, isn't there for you as much. And uh, uh, it's, been, it's been challenging. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you then. I mean, the, one of the points of this is to talk about what you're reading and everything else. Have you been able to read? <clears throat> Have, to focus on things? Um, I've been able to. <laughs> um, I. At the end of every day, I take a bath for 15 minutes, and I just, if anybody comes anywhere near me during the bath, I just, like, I just get away. I'm in the bath, and I have a book. 
and I, I'm not afraid to use it. I'm <laughs> going to read it back. So that's you know, that's been my reading time, and I've sort of chipped my way through a few books um, during this pandemic. Uh, I chipped my way through uh, Piranesi by Susanna yep. Clarke, um, which is I don't think it's out yet. I um, friend of a friend uh, loaned me a PDF because I pleaded in a pathetic way, um, and so I read that, and it was absolutely marvelous. I don't know how much you know about Piranesi. Um, I've, I've, I've talked to people about it, and it sounds extraordinary and completely different from Strange and Norrell. You've preempted what I was about to say. It's extraordinary, but completely different <laughs> from Jonathan Strange and Norrell. Um, it is, you know, one of these extraordinary masterclasses in uh, minimalistic world building, um, where she creates this enormous house hewn out of marble with an ocean sloshing around in it. Um, and if I had that idea, um, I would have thought, oh, maybe I can get like a, you know, a little flash fiction out of this. You know, I could go 150 words with it. Um, but she just rings endless changes on this absolutely beautiful, um, uh, this absolutely beautiful vision that she has. And then, um, then, and she uses it to tell us a story. It's really remarkable. Okay. Yeah, well, I, mean, I know that that's due out in the world, you know, sort of, I, I think it's what part of the September flood, actually. Yeah, and, and, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and one of these books no one was expecting. You know, I think we'd all given up on ever seeing another Susanna Clarke book. I, I just, I didn't know. I hadn't given up, but I just, I, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's, a, that's, it's a gorgeous book, um, and just unlike anything else, and you're the hair stands up on your arm as, as you start to read it because you think, wow, this is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading something extraordinary. Uh, I've read that. I, um, I read half of um, the new Joe Abercrombie um, book, um, Trouble with Peace, who uh, I happen to be a major fan of Joe Abercrombie's. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think he's just a... He's he's just one of the contemporary masters of that particular strain of uh, of epic fantasy, and uh, uh, this is the middle book of a trilogy, um, but does not suffer in any way from that middle child syndrome. I was reading it, and I was so into it, and I stopped because they were asked me to do an interview with him late in late September, and I thought, oh, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to be so into it, and then I'll be done, and I'll forget it, and then I won't know what to ask him. So I'm waiting, and I'm going to come back to it. You know when the moment arrives, but um, he does that thing that is just extraordinary. Um, uh, with, that he does, which is has the, you know he has this incredible world and it's strewn with these marvelous ca ca uh, uh, characters and he hops from one to the other and they're all you know arrayed in bitter conflicts against each other and you love them all and you ever you understand why each one of them is doing what they're doing, um, uh, even though they are doing the opposite things from each other and want to kill each other. Uh, it's just extraordinary. Um, I really admire him. Yeah, well, look, I've, I read the first in the series, uh, and that whole sort of taking his world and bringing the Industrial Revolution to it and changing it the way he has, has is really quite, quite remarkable. So, well, you've been reading, you've read these books. Let me ask you this. What have you been doing? I mean, you have a new middle grade book out in the world? I know. It's a curious... It's a, it, 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 it seems strange to me as well. Um, I, wrote, I wrote a middle grade novel um, called The Silver Arrow, which is, um, it's a sort of throwback -y book in a way. Um, it's meant to feel, have that sort of slightly rolled doll, um, 
uh, E.B. White feel uh, of, you know, a sort of fantastical uh, adventure, um, mm-hmm. maybe Enid, a little bit of Enid Blyton in there. Um, uh, you know, it's quite it, it, it's about a, a girl who is 11. Um, her mysterious uncle gifts her with a life size, fully functional steam train, uh, which turns out to be sentient. Um, and they go off away on a, on uh, on magical adventures in it, and they save a whole lot of talking animals, which is a slightly glib way of describing the plot. Um, I'm really bad at it, but it's it's meant to have that sort of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, feel of 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 a, of a wondrous adventure that has a lot of darkness kind of woven through it in threads. Um, and so it, it 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 it's very fun and funny, and then it also is meant to have a lot of pathos about it you know uh, kate the hero is one of is it is she's a child um who is you know really poised to leave girlhood for mm-hmm. adolescence and she's longing to sort of see the wider adult world um and then you know on the course of these adventures she does and of course it's wonderful and amazing and empowering but um also brings with a lot of complexity and sadness um that as a child you don't know is coming and then once you've seen it you can kind of never un- unsee it again, um, and it gets into a lot of uh, um, the. It's it's not a it's not by any stretch the imagination a climate change book or a cli-fi book, but it gets into a lot of what's happening and changing about our relationship with the natural world. I think what got me interested in it in in some ways was I started telling the story to my kids, um, uh, and this uh, and it got to the bit where Kate met some talking animals, and their conversation she had with them was so different from, for example. The conversation the Pevensies had with like Mr. and Mrs. Beaver mm-hmm. in the Narnia yeah. books, you know, in those books, the animals are they're psyched to see you. You're if you're a human, you've come, you're going to save the day with your opposable thumbs and you know your earth magic and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, when Kate arrives and the animals see her coming, they are not entirely pleased to see her. They mm-hmm. they are, their experience of the world they are in is of it's a post-apocalyptic world. Um, it is a world that is in the process of being destroyed and it is the humans who are the villains in that story um and that's something you know that that is quite complicated for kate to kind of process uh and yet you know that's the journey she's on did you find yourself during the writing of the book referring back to the classic fantasies that you read in your youth or was this one of those things where they're sufficiently you know, embedded in, in you as a reader that you had that to go off and having, I guess, your own children to bounce it off gave you that tone for it? Because, I mean, it, it, it's a major tonal shift from what you've written at novel length before. I think that's not a big stretch. Yeah, it's just one of those things when, uh, and, and all, all writers have this, I, I, you know, I read a lot to my kids. I read aloud, sure. and I read I, I read a lot of Roald Dahl to them, and 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 books. You know, at this age group, I have a seven year old and a ten year old, and I just every once in a while I had this flash, which is like, oh, wait, I know I can do this. I can do this voice. I, I, I it's, you know, it's like an impression you can do. It's like, oh, I can yeah. do, I can do that kind of voice. And finally, I sat down and did it. But I, I constantly went back and reread those books while I was working on Silver Arrow, which, by the way, I thought would be quite easy, and that I would do in about six weeks, because they're so short. A, a, a magician's novel, it's 145,000 words long. Um, a middle grade novel is 35,000 words. Um, yeah. So it's whatever 35 divided, uh, what, uh, divided by 145 is that fraction of a magician's book. Um, but oddly enough, it was not that much easier than writing a magician's book. 
Did you find that you there was a a searching for a voice for it because it's such a different kind of voice you need, and then finding the language and making sure that it because I mean what strikes me I've no, I'm not a writer but what strikes me about middle grade fiction well fiction for anybody when you're writing for them younger it has to be true and genuine it has to be a genuine voice that they can listen to and not be talked down to and that becomes critical so I would imagine finding that must be challenging. Children are um, uh, not to be underestimated as readers and critics. They are brutally uh, um, sensitive. They can sense hypocrisy. Uh, They can sense you when you're fudging the truth um, or when you're talking down to them or even when you're just enjoying the sound of your own voice a little (laughs) bit too much. They know. And as soon as they catch that they're out of there they've got better things to do they've got legos you know they don't they don't need this (laughs) um so uh it it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of self-awareness um and uh uh it was it was challenging and you know i I took it seriously um of course i I hope that it came out okay did you find you had to cut away a lot to keep it focused enough to, to maintain a middle grade reader's attention do you think Yes, I, I did. I did. I, I midway through, I was going. I, I uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was sort of a touchstone, and I actually went back and tried to learn a little bit about how he'd written it. And I was so relieved to know there were like so many other kids that ended up on the cutting room floor. I mean, we know the iconic now iconic Baruch Assault and Mike TV and and all that. There were a whole bunch of other kids who died in other. You know, they didn't die, but you know, they got. Yeah. dinged in like other grotesque ways there was like five more of them and he cut them all <laughs> and so it was over such a relief because i was like well i had to cut the wolverine you know you know um i bet doll would never have made that mistake <laughs> he made his own mistakes and i guess we all do so that was a relief well I, I guess what it is it's finding what what's the what the path is that the story needs to take to be as direct and effective as it can be and you you, you almost have to overpopulate it to start off with to then bring it down and focus it to what it needs to be. Mm, yes, you really have to hone it down. Um, uh, you really have to hone it down. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. Just as a technical challenge, it is a, it is an extraordinary experience for a writer, um, and you are rewarded because children are, you know, really are truly swept away by fictions in a way sure. that I think maybe as adults we no longer quite, or just I don't know, we maybe we don't have that quite that faculty anymore we're too yeah. distracted and we're too cool and we're too self-conscious um but they just give it everything you know when you've got them you've got them all the way and i mean given the, the nature of the publishing universe right the silver arrow wasn't finished four weeks ago it's been a while since you wrote the end and have been dealing with edits and copy edits and all these kind of things so i assume it's you've begun to think about what you will do next do you find that the experience that you had writing The Silver Arrow is impacting about how you feel about what you do next? Um, let's see. I, 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 suppose it, I suppose it is. It is. It was an interesting experience in terms of um, <clears throat> I, I let the real world, you know, into the book in a way that, um, you know, the magician's books... They get into whatever they get into, but there's no politics in them. Um, there's no, uh, there's no uh, climate change. There's no nothing is ripped from the headlines. The headlines remain 
fully intact during the mm-hmm. magician's books. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a book where I sort of opened up and I sort of said, well, we can play in fantasy land and they can have a fun adventure with animals and everybody can be friends. Or I can sort of allow the real world to kind of flow into this book a little bit and to, you know, to, to, to kind of inflect it. And I, and I, I did it. I played that game. I, 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 I made it feel real in that way. And that was a fascinating experience. Um, and it's definitely, it makes me think about what's, what's coming next. I think readers and people and, and, and watchers, um, are becoming, they actually, they expect much more to, um, see what they're watching for what they're, they expect their, what they're watching to grapple with reality more, I feel like than, Mm -hmm. than maybe the case. Okay. Well, The Silver Arrow is finished, it's done, it's out in bookstores now, so people can buy it, order it, and own it and experience it themselves. I assume it'll be an audio book as well, all those kind of things. Were you caught up in that? You're doing the audio book? Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic. This guy Simon Vance did it. He's so good. Um, Yeah, it's good. So those are all out in the world. So please, if you're listening, go out and order and buy a known. But for the moment, Lev Grossman, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. I genuinely appreciate it. It was a real pleasure.